I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Ezekiel chapters 18 and 19. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. They blame their relatives, their ancestors, in chapter 18, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, if he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. If he begets a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things and does none of those duties, but has eaten on the mountains or defiled his neighbor's wife, if he has oppressed the poor and needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted his eyes to the idols, or committed abomination, if he has exacted usury or taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. If, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, who has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live." As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes, and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul whose sins shall die, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live." 
Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his way, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Well, the stage is set for this chapter in the first three verses. These exiled Jews insisted that they were being punished solely because of the sins of their forefathers and not for their own sins. They had an old saying, a proverb, not one of Solomon's proverbs, but a proverb nonetheless. And here it is. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. They quote that in verse 2, and Ezekiel quotes them in verse 2. Jeremiah repeats their old proverb as well in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, just before he outlines the new covenant. It was a saying of conventional wisdom among these sinning Jews, even though it was not true in this situation, well, at least not to the extent to which they were applying it. Let's be clear about the incorrect nature of their assertion. They had absolved themselves of personal responsibility for God's wrath in the fall of Jerusalem. They claimed it happened because of the sins of their forefathers and not their own sins. Israel and Judah and Jerusalem had incorrectly applied the message of Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, and the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. Let's take a look at the words of Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, that were being incorrectly adopted by these exiles. And I quote, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, never mind that they still had their own idols with which they could not seem to part. While it's true that the decisions made by our ancestors do have an impact on our own lives, Ezekiel carefully, I mean very carefully, goes through several scenarios in this chapter to hold these contemporary Jews personally, personally responsible for their own sins, and thus the fall of the land into captivity and punishment. He explains that Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 was given as a logical consequence to sin, but was not intended to lock descendants into an impossible-to-do-right situation. 
These exiled Jews saw their beloved city, Jerusalem, destroyed because they themselves served other gods and idols. Ezekiel's very clear that he intends to put a stop to the use of this proverb when he speaks on behalf of God in verse 3. And here's what he quotes. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Ezekiel then sets the stage for three examples to illustrate the point in verse 4. He says, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Now, we're talking individual accountability for sin here when he proclaims the soul who sins shall die. Then Ezekiel very specifically lists three scenarios to make his point about individual accountability. Scenario number one, verses five through nine, identify a man who keeps the law himself, who finds favor in God's eyes. Scenario number two is found in verses 10 through 13. They identify the actions of a wicked son of a law-keeping father, the law-keeping father of scenario number one. And then scenario number three, verses 14 through 17, identify the law-keeping son of a wicked father, the one seen in scenario two. So Ezekiel sums up these scenarios in in verses 5 through 17 the same way he introduced them in verse 4 by saying in verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the wicked shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. In other words, sons don't pay for father's sins. And likewise, fathers don't pay for son's sins. Everyone pays for their own sins. If you're looking for the bottom line of this chapter, read verse 30. It says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. The exiles were paying for their own sins and not the sins of their ancestors. He concludes this discussion of their sin by answering their criticism regarding God's consistency in verse 25. Here's what he says. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? These wicked Jews apparently are forwarding the proposition that wickedness was more prevalent during the time of their ancestors, yet they did not fall into captivity. And that's not fair. In verse 29, Ezekiel tells them that they should not be pointing their fingers at God's inconsistency when they themselves, they're the inconsistent ones, the unequal ones. God's solution is seen in verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Incidentally, many people who fail to rightly divide the word of truth, they've taken this whole chapter out of the context of the fall of Jerusalem, and they've tried to maintain that there's a universal message of spiritual salvation and loss of salvation here for New Testament believers. They take the physical death and punishment spoken of here in chapter 18, and they do a conversion on the concept from physical to spiritual death. And you just can't do that and rightly divide the word of truth. You'll find in nearly all of these misusage of this passage that they've done no study and they have no clue about the specifics of which Ezekiel is really speaking here. Likewise, they've done the same with Ezekiel's comments about his responsibility to warn the Jews in Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33. 
One only needs to read the list of sins identified in verses 5 through 9 to realize that it's improper to abuse this passage by identifying it with Christians living today. Again, to clarify, the exiles are being told that their nation has been terminated because of their own wickedness before God, not the wickedness of their forefathers. In chapter 19 of Ezekiel, verses 1 through 9, Israel is seen as a lioness, verse 1. Moreover, take a lamentation for the princes of Israel, and say, What is your mother, a lioness? She lay down among the lions. Among the young lions she nourished her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion. He learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was trapped in their pit, and they brought him with chains to the land of Egypt. When she saw that she waited, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He roved among the lions and became a young lion. He learned to catch prey. He devoured men. He knew their desolate places and laid waste their cities. The land with its fullness was desolated by the noise of his roaring. Then the nations set against him from the provinces on every side and spread their net over him. He was trapped in their pit. They put him in a cage with chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in nets that his voice should no longer be heard on the mountains of Israel." So here's Ezekiel doing a lion metaphor on Israel. Israel's the lioness. Ezekiel's metaphor is very specific here as he implicates the last kings of Judah. The first whelp was Jehoahaz in verses 3 and 4. He was placed on the throne by the Judeans following the death of his father, Josiah. That's in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 33. Verse 3 identifies him as an evil king, and verse 4 mentions his fate death after being taken as a prisoner to Egypt by Pharaoh Necho in 609 B.C. The second whelp in verse 5 was Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiakim. He's seen in 2 Kings 24, verses 8 through 17, and 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 8 through 10. Well, he was evil also, we see in verses 6 and 7. And he was taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in 597 B.C., which is seen in verses 8 and 9 here. Well, is that confusing to you? Well, take a look at the brief summary of the last five kings of Judah that I've listed in this next paragraph, and maybe you'll get some clarification. I'm just not going to read the whole thing to you, but let me just give you a brief recap. Josiah was the last good king of Judah from 640 to 609 B.C. Then Jehoahaz, his son, only reigned for three months. He was taken captive to Egypt, thus leaving Judah's throne vacant. He fits the description of Ezekiel's first whelp. Then we have Jehoiakim from 609 to 598 B.C. He was Josiah's wicked son. He was actually older than Jehoahaz. He's recorded in 2 Kings 24, verses 1 through 8, and 2 Chronicles 36, 1 through 7. He was placed on the throne by Egyptian Pharaoh Necho when his brother was taken to prison in Egypt. After the Babylonians moved into Judah in 605 B.C., Jehoiakim was removed from the throne to Babylon for a period, apparently, and his son Jehoiakim served in his place. It's likely that Jehoiakim served in his father's absence as a regent and before Jehoiakim was returned to the throne. And Jehoiakim succeeded Jehoiakim at his death. Then we have Jehoiakim from 598 to 597 B.C., a grandson of Josiah, and the son of Jehoiakim, recorded in 2 Kings 24, verses 8 through 17. 
and 2 Chronicles 36, verses 8 through 10. He perhaps served as regent during Jehoiakim's imprisonment in Babylon and succeeded his father to the throne after his death. After his short reign, Nebuchadnezzar took him to prison in Babylon for 37 years and placed his uncle Zedekiah on the throne of Judah in his place. He fits the description of Ezekiel's second whelp. And then there was Zedekiah from 597 to 586 B.C. He was another of Josiah's wicked sons. He's recorded in 2 Kings 24, 17-20 and 2 Chronicles 36, verses 11-16. through 16. He was placed on the throne by Nebuchadnezzar, but he later rebelled against the Babylonian king. As a result, when Jerusalem was captured, Zedekiah's sons were killed before his eyes, right before his eyes, and his eyes then were gouged out. Subsequently, blind Zedekiah spent the rest of his days in a Babylonian prison. So Ezekiel is prophesying here around 592-591 B.C. during the reign of Zedekiah, based upon the fact that his prophecies are listed sequentially. Ezekiel 8 is dated in 592 B.C., and Ezekiel 20 is dated 591 B.C. In chapter 19, verses 10-14, through 14, there we see Israel as a vine. Verse 10, Your mother was like a vine in your bloodline, planted by the waters, fruitful and full of branches because of many waters. She had strong branches for scepters of rulers. She towered in stature above the thick branches, and was seen in her height amidst the dense foliage. But she was plucked up in fury. She was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried her fruit. Her strong branches were broken and withered. The fire consumed them. And now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Fire has come out from a rod of her branches and devoured her fruit, so that she has no strong branch, a scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation." Well, here's the imagery, and it turns to a vine in verse 10. The vine is Israel prospering in Canaan in verses 10 and 11. Then Israel's sins chiseled away at their strength until the east wind, being Babylon, overcame them in verse 12. The exile of the people of Israel is seen in verse 13, and then we see the demise of Judah and Israel in verse 14. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 